love my church. I love my church. I love my church. Think about how powerful it would be if everyone who came to church did at least one small thing to demonstrate God's love for others uh, in, in ways of service, in uh, maybe helping someone uh, who is in need or delivering a meal or just welcoming people to church on a Sunday morning. How different it would be for people who come visit our churches. I think it would be so much more impactful that we are uh, truly living uh, what we preach, the model that Jesus gave us. Amen. Some of you know what I'm going to say after that worship this morning. Uh, if that didn't bless your blesser, then your blesser is broken. So open your Bibles this morning. It's not in the Bible, uh, but it should be. It's good enough to be in there. So it's not in there, but it could be. It does preach. It does preach. Open your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, as I said during our introduction and greet time, um, we are continuing our series that we started a couple weeks ago, uh, I Love My Church. And we're going to look at every week uh, different ways we can express our love for our church, but also in turn reflect and project that love of Christ. And so the only reason we love our church is because we were first loved by Christ. Uh, over the last two weeks, we have discovered that Jesus told his disciples, and catch this now, he told his disciples, those closest to him, those 12 men, that he walked with and lived with and experienced life with for three and a half years, he told them before he went to the cross, he said, do you really want to know the greatest evidence that I came? You want to know the greatest evidence to the world that the Father sent me into this world to seek and to save that which was lost? He says this to them. He says, it's when my followers love one another. That's powerful. That when there's a love in the church for one another, it is the greatest evidence, Jesus says. The truth that Jesus actually came is, is shown when we as a church love each other and love one another. And I'm not talking about just showing up on Sunday mornings. We talked about this before too and just knowing where people sit and having those kind of momentary conversations. I think it goes deeper than that. It's not about just buying a t-shirt, although, man, I'm so glad you guys are doing that, and wristbands, and that's great. But if we wear the shirt but don't put it in the practice, we're defining hypocrite. And so we don't just love our church when a series or, or the videos or the pastor says, love our church. We love our church because it is the body of Christ. And we've experienced that life-giving flow that Jesus gave. You see, last week we talked about the reality, and we discovered the amazing blessing that Christ, by his death, burial, and resurrection, tore down the division between us and the Father. In so doing, granting us access to God. It is this connection with God that allows us to be connected with the church, the body of Christ. And we just sang some amazing songs. We heard some amazing songs this morning. And I love kind of... I'm going to say it kind of like this, like the bookends of what we heard this morning. Here's what I mean by that. Gary sang a song that he chose Christ. And he said, man, basically I'm summarizing the song. I'm, going to get some, I'm not going to sing it because I'll do a horrible job compared to what he did. Y'all be out of here quicker than if there was a buffet going on. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, but here's the thing. There is a buffet, isn't there? In Emily City, Chinese. I've heard about that place. It's a good place. Um, 
when he said that, he's talking about just the understanding of, man, God is so good and loving. And I love there was a line in there that I don't know how the story is going to unfold. Man, let's just be real for a second. Anybody here, now that you've had a few years behind you in life, you look back and you go, this isn't how I thought it would go. It might be better, right? It might be better than you ever thought it would be. There might be some bumps in the road you never would have put in there. Isn't it amazing when we pray? We never pray for things like sacrifice. We never pray for hard times. We never pray for God to strip away these things that consume us because we know we really like these things. And then we'll pray things like, but God, I want you to make me like you and make me like Christ. I want you to use me as you used Christ. I want you to to take my life. It's yours. And I want you to make me the most Christ-like person on the planet. But we kind of, in the back of our mind, we're thinking, but if you could do that in the most convenient, comfortable, easy, American dream type way, we'd be really good. So I want to be like Jesus, but I want to be like Jesus in my way. And you know what God says to that kind of a confusing prayer is, I can't do that. I can do one or the other, but I can't give you both. I can't make you super comfortable, everything convenient, everything work out all the time, exactly how you planned, and make you like Jesus. Because Jesus, as we've studied so many times, he gave up everything. We can't even comprehend what Christ, according to the Gospels, delivered to us when he left the realms of glory, came to this wretched world full of sin and violence. And he surrendered all of that glory and all of that honor. And he he consumed himself with the flesh. He kind of became flesh for us. And he says he did all that so that when he would die on the cross, we could be granted his righteousness. There was an exchange that could be made now. I come with my sin and my dirtiness and my just disgusting nature. And he says, I will take that and give you my righteousness. He exchanges. We are a new creature. All things are passed away. All things become new. And guess what? He would not make the deal because of how good we are. He doesn't make the deal because I can bring a lot of good stuff to the table. He makes the deal because it's the greatest thing we need. Why would Jesus give up everything for us? Because he loves you that much. He's about his glory that much. He's about his grace that much. See, again, salvation is about you. We benefit from salvation. Amen. To spend eternity in his heaven at his cost. I mean, that's a blessing. I have a hope and a guarantee that fear has lost. Not just in this life, but in the life to come. They don't live in fear of death. Paul says death is a promotion. It's gained. You can take my life, that's fine. I just get to be with Jesus a little bit quicker. And when Gary sang that song about, man, as his story is unfolding and I understand all that Christ did for me, I choose him willingly. But then I love that song, reckless love in the sense of this nature. Not that, you know, you hear that and you think, wait a minute, God's love isn't reckless. God is organized and purposeful in what he did. It's reckless from our point of view. It's reckless because we would never love that way. See, here's the thing. We choose him, but he also pursues us. You know the only reason you could choose Christ and receive salvation when he worked in your heart? Because he chased after you. It's a beautiful picture of how God orchestrates these two things together. And so, yes, we choose Christ, but ultimately we can only choose Christ because he came to us. And why did he come? To tear down the division that was between us and the Father. See, here's the truth. That in your natural state, apart from Christ, if you are sitting there and you can be the most moral person in the room, 
I mean, you're the nicest person. You just, you do everything for everybody, but you don't know Christ. The Bible says, not Pastor John, not Baptist, not Christian. The Bible, Jesus' own words say that if you believe on me, you have eternal life. But those who don't believe are condemned already. And see, there is a weight to this thing. Your eternity hangs in the balance, and your decision in this life for Christ will ultimately determine your resting place for eternity, meaning are you going to be with him in heaven forever or in a place called hell? And you might think, man, I'm not that bad of a person. I've not done this. I've not done that. Whoa, 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 whoa. The minute we start trying to justify ourselves using this as our standard, we're flawed. Your, your starting point is off. Your plumb line isn't true, however you want to look at it, because the Bible is clear that if you offend in one area, you've offended in every area. You can't say, well, I've lied, but I've never committed adultery. Well, Jesus lumps those two things together. He says to lie is equal to adultery, meaning they're both sin. Well, I've never killed anybody. Jesus said if you have hatred in your heart to your brother, you've committed murder against him. I've never committed adultery. Jesus said if you have lust in your heart towards a woman, you've committed adultery with her already. That goes for women to men as well. See, very quickly, we don't got to get far into this thing before we realize, man, I'm a pretty screwed up person. I can't do this on my own. And that's the beauty of grace, that we just cry out and say, God, I know that I need you and I repent of my sins. And we can do that because he tore down the division. He made it possible. And I'm so thankful that he tore down that division. He connected us to the Father through Christ. But in turn, being connected to the Father means we can connect to the body of Christ. We are brought into the body of Christ and we become a family. And there is no greater feeling than spending time with your family, even that weird uncle that nobody wants to sit next to at Thanksgiving. You know the uncle. You all have this guy in your family. Just a weird dude, but you love him because he's family. I would tell you who our weird uncle is, but I don't want to embarrass Vic that way. I would never do that. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Vic's just like, nailed it, okay? When we come together as a body of Christ, there is nothing greater. Cheryl said something kind of off the cuff this morning. I don't even know if she even caught it, but she said, you know, just in talking to a few people this morning, I already know there's some struggles going on in the church, and so keep that in your mind as you go through the message today. I mean, you know what stuck out to me on that? Not that we have struggles, because I have struggles. Anybody else got a struggle, trial, temptation, test? Anybody have a bad week this week, a bad month, a bad year, bad decade, right? You got ups and downs, right? The ebb and flow. Someone said life, okay? It's like this sometimes. And you know the beauty of being connected to Christ and then connected to the body is when you come together with the body of Christ, whether it's a handful in a, in a Bible study or a large group study like this, and Cheryl said it, just talking to each other and just sharing those things. And it's not that we're like, you know, oh, woe is me. My life's so tough. Okay? My stepdad always used to tell me this when I was young. He'd always say, man, life is hard. Wear a helmet. Okay? Like that's just, and I've never forgotten that. Sometimes I wish I had a helmet in life. I'd been a lot better off. Okay? But here's the truth. When you come together with the body of Christ, Cheryl said it, and I'm not picking on her like she's a super Christian. I'm just saying, we come together and just hear each other's stories. And then we pray for one another. But listen, can I encourage you something? It doesn't have to stop with just hearing and praying. Like we can take that next step of action. Isn't that the awesomest thing? That we can step into action. We can actually connect with someone deeper. So many Christians, listen now, not unsaved non-Christians, so many Christians dismiss or devalue the power of connecting to the body of Christ. 
we must understand that to stay focused on the mission that Christ has given to us, we need the encouragement of the local church. I said that Christ tore down the division between us. That's a ministry of reconciliation, Paul says. And then he says this, and Christ took that very same mission, that ministry of reconciliation, and he gave it to his church. So what's our job here? Your job as a follower of Christ is not to have a nice house, two cars, a cabin, a boat, a little picket fence, the American dream. That's not your goal in life as a follower of Christ. That's the world's goal. Let them dream small like that. Let them have the minor dreams of possessions and all that other frivolous things that mean nothing in the end. Let them dream that. As followers of Christ, we have a much greater goal and mission. Your life is carrying so much more weight than just stuff. I've said it before, if you're here pursuing the stuff, you think having the cars and the house and all that makes you somebody, makes you something. I've done a ton of funerals in my ministry, and I've never once seen them take it with them. When they're laying in that coffin, it's just them. Now you can say, well, but what about my kids? I want to pass it on. That's fine. I'm not against passing on savings and all that stuff. Man, my kids, they're going to be in trouble, but it's fine. They'll be okay. I mean... They're smart kids. They'll figure it out. <laughs> but you know what I've said this before too? When people stand at a funeral, if you've ever been to a funeral and they do this, they'll stand and they'll say, tell me something about grandma or grandpa or so-and-so. And, and it's amazing. They never talk about the stuff. It's like, man, I used to love going to grandma's house and baking with them and, and just hanging out with them. I did a funeral here recently where this teenage girl stood and said, she lived down in the city area, and she said, I used to love coming up to Emily City, up to the country. Up north, she said. So we're up north, apparently. But, so she said, I used to love going up north. And my, my grandma's house had this big field and all these dandelions in it. And she said, I just loved running through the dandelions at my grandma's house. That was just awesome. And it, what does that cost? Like, I've got dandelions. You want some, you can have them. Okay, they're not, it's not a cost thing. It's not a possession thing. You know what it is? It's connecting a memory with that person. But as followers of Christ, our goal is to connect people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. To let them know, man, Christ came and died for you and gave his life for you. And if you would just surrender to him and repent of your sins, he will give you eternal life. And that's our goal. That's our mission. And we need the local church to come alongside us and to push us and to encourage us and to keep us focused on that. Because guess what's really easy in this world? To get so distracted by everything else, right? Man, all the pretty colors. All the things that pull our attention. As followers of Christ, we better stay focused because guess what? The Bible says your life is but a vapor that appears for a short time and then vanishes away. That means that everything we do matters today. Stop putting off to, t I'll get to that when I'm older. No, 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 no. You don't have a clue. The Bible also says that you don't even know that you'll have a tomorrow. So what? Invest today. I said before that vapor that we talk about is the steam that comes off of boiling water before it dissipates into the air and you can no longer see it. That, gap, that span of time, that's a vapor, according to James. Your life is described that way. It appears and then dissipates just that quickly. So we invest every moment. And how do we stay focused on that? We get connected to the church. But we also don't just get connected. We serve the church by serving one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 4. Paul writing here, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, a local church there. And uh, just a, a very 
kind of a messed up church, if we're being real honest. Just a church with a lot of issues. Uh, when you read the book of 1 Corinthians, you're going to find out they had all kinds of sin issues in the church, uh, struggles in the church. Um, in chapter 11, it talks about the Lord's Supper, communion being misused. Um, something that's supposed to bring unity brought division. Uh, you read in chapter, I believe chapter 5, talks about a sin of a young man with his uh, stepmom involved in an inappropriate relationship, and the church was okay with it. Um, just some crazy stuff going on in the church. And as Paul's writing this letter, he's trying to correct some of these things. He's trying to get them back on track. And he gets to chapter 12, and they were misusing the gifts of the Spirit, along with all the other confusion. They were even adding that into it. And the point of it was that they were basically using the gifts for their own benefit. What they, how it did for them, or what it did for them, how it promoted self and glorified self. And, and by the way, I said it a few weeks ago, that Corinthian effect, where I start to promote me over the church, or me over you, or I'm somehow more important because I have more money, or I have more stuff, or I'm more spiritual because I studied the Bible longer, or I have a degree, or I have whatever. We start to elevate each other like this and say, well, he's better than her, and she's better than him, and they're not good at all. And we do these things. We start putting people on statuses and class systems in the church. It's ridiculous. When every single person in the church that knows Christ all came because they were a wretched sinner in need of salvation. But somehow we received grace freely, became saved, became a follower of Christ, and now I can start delineating between me and someone else and say, I'm better than you. And you're, we're all sinners that were just saved by grace. So who am I to say I'm better than you? I mean, I've said it before, I'm better than some of you, but that's not the point. <laughs> Nobody in this room is better than anybody else. Let's just be real. And we're going to talk about this because in, in Corinthians, they were taking these gifts and using them for their own promotion. We're just going to read a few verses. It's not an exhaustive study on the gifts of the Spirit, but it is a point of making that why the gifts were given, what we're to do with the gifts. Okay, so I mentioned to Sandra, I told her, I said, time's getting a little short, we're going to have to buckle up. So I actually made this motion, okay? And I put the, the tray in the upright position, you know, glock the tray, you know what I'm saying? Because we're going to go. So let's just read this together, and then we'll kind of walk through this kind of quickly this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 4. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray you'd bless it and use it in our lives. I pray that it be seeds that are planted in our hearts and minds that would bring fruit. And that we would be followers of Christ, focused on you, focused on what you have for us. Lord, thank you for your church, and I pray that we would be an encouragement not only to the church, but allow the church to be an encouragement to us. Keep us focused. We have a job to do, Lord. You say even for the husbands and wives, as we've already talked about that, as Bill mentioned, Lord, that, that we're going to talk about what does it mean to be a godly husband, a godly dad. Lord, it's so vital that we as men understand where our priorities must rest. But Lord, even there, uh, through your word, we read that those of us that are married should live as though we are not because the time is short. Lord, it's not about me or my family. It's about you. It's about what you have for us. And so I pray that we would see the gifts falling in line with what you have for us as well. Father, we love you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The passage is so vital in 1 Corinthians 12 to understanding our role in local church. I love how verse 6 ends. Look at it with me again. It says, the same God which works all in all. Another translation says it this way, works all things in all persons. 
This means that God empowers gifts to his followers. God gives each and every believer one or more spiritual gifts. Now, a spiritual gift is not the same as a natural talent. Obviously, all of it comes from God, but only those in Christ who have been given the Spirit have a spiritual gift. So while not exhaustive, those possible gifts could be exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy, service, teaching, administration, discernment, faith, hope, knowledge, and wisdom. But I want to look at just real quick as we start this kind of off, two important keys to remember about spiritual gifts. Two important keys that we have to remember about spiritual gifts, specifically our spiritual gifts. The first one is that God is the one who picked yours. God is the one who picked yours. You don't pick your gift. Now, I don't know if any of you are like Sandra and I in the way we do our Christmas presents. We used to, when we were early on married, you know, dating and all that, we try to like come up with this ingenious gift. Oh, I'm going to blow her away. And we try to plot and plan and all this. And mm, she'll never know what's going on. And then we got kind of had kids and got older. And we realized that's a lot of work. So what we do, literally, this is not an exaggeration. We'll write a list of like four or five things, six things, whatever. And we'll say, here's what I want. She'll say, here's what I want. I'll say, cool, thanks. And then guess what I'll go buy? The things on the list. Do you know why I would buy the things on the list? Because she wants the things on the list. This is not rocket science. All you like newly married or hope to be married one day, this is free. This is all free marriage advice. Ask, get. Like it's that simple. And if your wife says, oh, you don't have to get me anything, that's a lie. <laughs> get her something. Well, but she said it's not a big deal. No, she's being polite. If you don't get her something, she's not going to talk to you for two weeks. Buy her a gift. Now, I tease about that. We do that. We do give lists and stuff. We will try to come up with something, like a random thing that, you know, we try to tune into each other and buy that one gift that isn't on the list or something like that and try to be creative with it. But I love it because we can just know. This is, now, we ask our kids for Christmas lists, and that goes a whole different way. <laughs> I told you guys, my son put down cell phone five times on his list and four-wheeler and PS4, and, and I wrote it into this. You don't need Santa Claus. You need a job. Like, that's what you need right now. <laughs> Because this is ridiculous. And so when you think about this idea that we don't pick our gift, that is an amazing, amazing blessing. God picks your gift for you. With God, there is no return policy, and you don't need one. Because whether you realize it or not, the gift he gives you is exactly what you actually need, even when you don't think it's what you need. We think we know what gift we need, so when we see someone with a different gift getting attention... We tell God to give us that gift. We don't want the gift that we have. Paul tells us that it is foolish to think that the body of Christ can function if everyone had the same gift. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 23. It's a lot of verses, but I want to read it because it's just amazing what Paul does here. He says, For the body is not one member, but many. Now, he's going to start talking about a physical body. But he's actually speaking, remember, big picture spiritual connection, the body of Christ. We are called the body of Christ. We have different members, different parts, different features and functions. But we're all part of the same body, okay? So he's talking physical or spiritual body, then he's going to transition into the physical body. Listen to verse 15. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I will not, or I am not of the body, it is, is it therefore not of the body? First of all, if your foot starts talking to your hand, 
you need to call me because we have to have a conversation. We have to have a little prayer session, okay? Something's going on there. But he's being kind of facetious here, being sarcastic. Listen, he says, but if, and then he says in verse 16, and if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? These are obvious answers. And what's the answer? No, of course it's still part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where, will, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if there were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. Verse 23, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable upon these, we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. What's Paul saying here? Listen, stop looking at the hand and saying, but yeah, but they get all the attention of the eye. Man, everybody likes the eye, or everybody likes the ear, and I'm just the foot. Like I, My gift doesn't allow me the privilege or the ability to be up in front and to be in front of everybody. My gift is service, and so I just kind of am in the background. And so what good am I? And the body needs every part functioning in the same goal with the same direction so that the body can be healthy. I've said it before, I truly believe this. Every single local body of Christ has every gift it needs to function as the body of Christ at all times. I don't think there's ever a time where a local church does not have every single part of the body. I don't care if it's a church of five or a church of 150. It doesn't really, it, God will always bring what the church needs, when the church needs it, so the church can be the church. So then what's the breakdown? Eyes are trying to be feet and hands are being ears and nobody wants to do what they're called to do because I don't want to be that, I want to be this. I, I don't like the gift that I was given. It doesn't matter whether you like it or not, that's your role in the local church. And when you embrace that gift and follow that gift, now you begin to experience the joy of service, the joy of being a part of the body of Christ. Stop thinking you need something else. The gift you have is perfect. The whole key is found in verse 18. I love verse 18. It says, but now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body. Why? Because it makes us happy, because we like it, because it's comfortable to us. No, no, no. He says, as it hath pleased him. Well, who in the world is he to think that it's all about him? It's a great question. It's his body. It's his church. He can do with it whatever he pleases. And we don't have to understand it, and he doesn't have to explain it to us. He chooses to give us knowledge. We can just fall in line with it. So this is a problem for us to have authority over us, isn't it? Most Americans are so independent-minded. It's my life. I'll do what I want. You think you have all this control. You really don't. And so when we hear things like God saying, I want to be your God and you be my friend, you be my servant, you be my follower, I'll lead you, you follow, I'll, you submit to me and I'll lead. We think, oh, I don't like that. My American ears don't like that. It doesn't matter what you like. The point is he is God. He is the sovereign creator of all things, and he is the judge, the righteous judge, the perfect judge. And so it doesn't matter whether you agree or not. If it pleases him, we follow his lead. You see, not only is God the one who picks your gift, it is a spirit-empowered gift. A spirit-empowered gift. This might seem difficult to discern between natural talent and a spiritual gift. 
Some of us have been under the influence of some incredible teachers that made us think about that topic in a totally different way or a new way. However, that teacher, as great as they were, maybe had nothing to do with God. Teaching for them was a natural talent versus the teaching we see as a spiritual gift. So what's the difference? First, note that this teaching here is connected to teaching the Word of God specifically. I'm not saying that somebody with the spiritual gift of teaching can't teach like physics well. What I'm saying is this is saying as a teacher of the Word of God, that's the key outlet for that gift. But what about people who are just naturally good teachers who hate God but love teaching and are passionate about teaching? What's the difference? Well, secondly, the spiritual gift of teaching is carried, guided, powered, sustained, supported, and led by the Spirit, where the talent of teaching is dependent upon just that person's ability or knowledge. I can explain it like this, a simple illustration. If you were to be hit by Mike Tyson in his prime, you would go to sleep. Like, just if he punched you once in his prime, if Mike Tyson got a free punch on you, you would go down. It doesn't matter how big and tough you think you are. You would go down. It would do some damage. It is powerful, much more powerful than the average guy's punch. But if you were punched by, I don't know, Superman, like, you'd be much more damaged, much more hurt by that. Tyson's punch would feel like a tickle compared to Superman's punch. And you might say, okay, I've been in church a long time. That's the most ridiculous illustration I've ever heard in my life. Superman and Mike Tyson, let me explain. Teaching under our natural ability, who's somebody who's really, really good at teaching, just naturally they're, they're given that ability, that's like Tyson's punch. It's, it's powerful. It's much more powerful than the average teacher. It comes across clearly. But when we understand what the Spirit can do through teaching the Word of God or gifting someone in a gift of a certain aspect, it's that much more powerful. It's not just a little bit better than the average. It's supernatural. It's superhuman is what it is because it's not powered by the man or the person. It's powered by the Spirit. You have been given a gift by God, but it means you also carry a responsibility to use that gift you have been given to His glory. So, The common question we ask next is, what is my gift? What are my gifts? Three things to do real quick to help you understand this. And I told you we got to go. So if you're like, I'm trying to get all this, okay, see me after. I'd love to give you a copy of my notes. You can just have a printout of it. But three things I would encourage as you're trying to discover, what are my gifts? I'm saved. I'm a follower of Christ. I I know I have the Spirit of God in me. So what are the gifts that he's given me? Three, Three things real quick. Number one, experiment with serving. Experiment with serving. I truly believe that one of the ways that the Spirit makes our gift clear is in stepping up and serving. Look at the ministries we have here, which you can find out very quickly and easily if you're interested. Begin to pray about where to serve, but the key is not just praying about it, but plugging in and serving the local church. We can do all that we do, or I'm sorry, we can't do all that we do without volunteers and servants. And it was great to do laundry love here a couple weeks ago, go and pay for people's laundry as they just came into a, a laundromat. They just told me, I told you guys, they gave me that look, like, you want to do what now? Yeah, we're going to pay for your laundry. I've got like five loads. Okay, great, let's pay for your laundry. Wait, why are you guys doing this? Uh, we've experienced the love of God, and we want you to experience the love of God. We just care for our community, and we want to bless you. 
That was great to do that. And, and the four or five of us that got to actually sign up and be available that day with scheduling and stuff, that was great. But do you realize we could not have gone and done that without months and months and months of people attending our Wednesday evening service, just giving a dollar here, five bucks there, ten bucks there? Those people couldn't come to Laundry Love, couldn't be there physically. But you know what? They were a part of that ministry because they just gave what they could when they could. And do you see how it's all interconnected? There's not this one great ability or person in the church. It's all interconnected with one another. We need one another. We cannot do what we do as a church. Our missionaries cannot be on the field unless we support them and come alongside them. Uh, we can't give our missionaries, and I told you guys, I'm so pumped. This last June, we pumped, bumped up our missions to $100 a month per missionary. In 2012, it was $30 a month. 2013, $30 a month, 14, 15, 16, $30 a month, $30 a month. And finally, we said, you know what, what can we do about this? And so the church came together and we began to give and give, not so that we can have a nice building, and that's fine, but we want to support these missionaries that are on the fields. And then that's what it is to, to connect with and be a part of the local church. So we experiment with serving. There's no minor role in the church. It's all vital. So if you're sitting there thinking, like, I don't know what my gift is, plug in somewhere. Just plug in. But also you can ask others. A second thing we can do is ask others. We read last week that we are to provoke one another unto good works in Hebrews chapter 10. So we should be watching and listening to each other, praying for one another, so we can help one another discover what their gift might be. Now others, let me say this too, can be wrong. Right? Others can be wrong. So as a message to the others, so if you're, unless you're the one saying, I want to know what my gift is, if you're the others that are going to be talking to this person, and you look at this person, you think, man, I know what their gift is. It's got to be this. I mean, it just fits. It's perfect. They love this. It's going to be great. And you go in, that person says, what's my gift? And they say, well, I think your gift is this. And then six months goes by, and they're like, I don't know. I disagree with you. I think my gift is this. And they go a different direction. Please don't get angry with that person. You could be wrong. That's the point here. So when we ask others, it's not like we're asking them whatever they tell us we have to do. Well, so-and-so said, my gift is teaching, so I must teach. While your spiritual gift may be something completely different, you just listen to someone else. So we listen, but we also do the next key thing. We ask the one who gives the gifts. We experiment with serving, we ask others, but then we ask the one who gave the gift. Prayer is vital. Ask God in prayer to reveal your gift to you. He's not hiding it from you. He's not trying to play hide-and-seek with it. He is wanting you to utilize your gift to bless the church and glorify him. Others may be wrong, but he is never wrong. So experiment with serving. Ask others, but also ask the one who gives the gift in prayer and say, Lord God, I just want to know what my gift is so I can utilize my gift for your glory because I need to be involved. I need to be as we're going to say next, plugged in. You see, isn't it amazing that Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 13 were called of the Spirit to go and do their first mission trip? And we talked about this a few months ago. We talked about the power of Barnabas and just what he did for Paul and the catalyst to change. But do you realize that Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch for a year teaching and serving the local church before the Spirit ever called them to missions? Do you know what that tells me? They were just serving. They were just doing what was needed, and it was in the act of serving that somebody opened a door. The Spirit opened the door and said, come to missions. I want a special thing for you now. 
And so I don't think we can disconnect that and say, oh, it's just a coincidence. No, no, I think it's completely connected. You see, you've got to get plugged in. Stop. I, mean, I, I hate to say it this way. Some of you have prayed about this long enough. I, you just, my pastor just said, I've prayed about something too long. That's not right. Listen to what I'm saying. We as Christians, we're really, really good at saying things like, I'll pray about it. And we pray about it with no intention of doing anything. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just telling you, that's how I can be. Man, I pray about it. Oh, Lord. And we feel so spiritual, don't we? But I'm praying about it. That's great. He told you a year and a half ago. So get off your rear and do something. Like, I mean, I remember a few years ago, one of the last series I did with the youth ministry before I stepped out of that ministry and uh, kind of turned over to our youth leaders. As we did a series called Seriously, Just Do Something. That was the name of the series. Seriously, just do something. Because so many of us were sitting on the sideline and we're just waiting. And I just don't know what that big call is. Okay, but until you do know what that specific call is, you do know some basic things. You're, we're all supposed to be in prayer, reading his word, making disciples, encouraging the local church, serving the local church. You know those things. So serve in where you can. Get connected. Romans chapter 12. Go over there real quick. Last passage, and then we're going to wrap it up. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. You see, you've got to get plugged in. That's the key. If you really want to see God do something in your life, I mean like never before, get plugged in. It sounds so easy, but it, it's really difficult unless we're opening our heart and mind to what he has for us. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 says this. For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. You know what the key here is? Go down to verse 9. It says, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. You know what drives our desire to get connected and plugged in? A love for Christ and a love for his church. Paul writes Romans chapter 12 as a companion to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12 is written to the church at Corinth. Romans 12 is written to the church at Rome. Paul established the church at Corinth. He planted the church. You can read about it in Acts it's amazing to see how Paul, through God's grace, established that church. But the church at Rome, he hadn't met them yet. He doesn't know them. He's writing to them, hoping to see them one day. He does make it to Rome, but he makes it there as a prisoner. And he's actually martyred there. But as he's writing to the church at Rome, he's trying to get them to understand the same thing in the church at Corinth. And that's why we say we believe this is for the church. Not just one church or two churches, but the church. We've been given these gifts. We get plugged in. And we're driven with love because your gift was not given to you for you. Shocking thought that something God gave me is actually not about making me central or the main attraction. God didn't give you a gift or a talent, by the way, by the way so that people will come and tell you how amazing you are at this or that. In fact, if your motivation to serve Christ is so that you are recognized, I would caution you to ask God to break your heart and maybe even step out of ministry until such a time as God has restored a right mindset of humility. I'm telling you guys right now, the day that I think that this is about me is the day that I'm quitting. 
because this is, it's ridiculous to think that serving Christ is about us. These gifts are not for us. They are for his glory and for the love and the benefit of the church. We say it over and over again. We especially said this in conversations with God, the series we did here for eight weeks. This life as a follower of Christ is not about you. It's not about your happiness or comfort. This life which has been leased to us, leased to us, is about promoting the glory of God, which means the greatest part of your gift is that it is not how God will glorify you, but how God will glorify himself through you. With your weakness and your flaws, he will and can use you. Don't believe the lie that you are too far gone or that you don't have a gift or that you're just not good enough or you're not like him or like her. And God wants to use you right where you are. So what if we all got plugged in? And what if we all, I mean, just we all got plugged in. I love to think about the possibility of the church of Christ laying down all distractions and just where they are and with the time that they have, surrendering and submitting, serving one another in love. It is impossible to imagine all that God can do when we choose to serve in love. The ripple effect is beyond understanding. Next week, we're going to dive into loving our church through giving. And I believe that when we abandon our own selfish wants and put others first, the gospel will go forth and people will see Christ in us. I want to encourage you to ask a couple questions this morning as we get ready to pray for invitation. And I want you to actually not only ask the question, but be willing to listen to the answer. So many times we talk to God, we're so busy thinking about what we're going to tell God next, we're not listening to his response. So I want you to ask these questions, and I want you to listen in prayer to what God would have you know. First and foremost, do you know Christ as your Lord and personal Savior? The Bible says that the wages of our sin is death and separation from God in hell. The payment for our sin is separation from God for all eternity. But the verse goes on to say that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you know Christ today? Have you, have you been reconciled to him or are you walking in your own works thinking that's good enough? I, I promise you by the word of God, he says your good works, your best five minutes. Imagine the best five minutes, he says, are like as filthy rags before me. The term there in the original language, and I'm not being graphic just to be graphic. This is what it means. The term for filthy rags is literally translated in the Hebrew, menstrual rags. Imagine putting some of those in a box, putting a bow on it, giving it to someone you love and saying, I, I want this, I want you to have this. This is my best I can give you. The Bible says that when God opens that package and sees our righteous works in our flesh that we think are good enough, the very smell of them make him want to vomit, the Bible says. Because he sees our righteousness as sin. Because we don't understand righteousness from his point of view. He is perfect in all things. And when we come before him with our pride, he is dis- it literally makes him sick. It's nauseous. And because then he knows what his son did for you that you rejected. So not only is he sick to his stomach, but he's got a broken heart. And the Bible's clear that we will suffer consequences for our sins if we choose to stand before him in our own sins. But the beauty is you don't have to. Receive Christ today. Confess and repent of your sins and believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that you will be saved. And we will not stand before him in our own pride and arrogance. We will stand, well, really, I believe, on our knees before him, humbled by his great love for us. So if you don't know Christ, will you receive him today? If you know Christ, what is your spiritual gift? Are you plugging in and experimenting with serving? 
Are you praying and asking God to open your eyes to the opportunities in this church to serve? And if not, will you come and pray this morning? In just a few moments, we're going to have some people up front in this front row here with some, some prayer cards. Maybe you want to come and say, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Would you just pray for me to be broken and humbled, that I would hear what the Lord has for me? Maybe I have a knowledge of what my gift is, but I'm not using it to his glory because I'm focused on me. Maybe you want to come and pray and say, God, would you give me wisdom and how to discern what and how and when I serve? Because listen, it's not about doing everything all the time. That's the beauty of us all having a gift. We don't all have to do everything. We just do what we're called to do in our lane, and God will use others in the church to meet those needs. But lastly, maybe you want to come and pray and And ask this question of yourself. Do you believe that God can use this church to impact our community and our world for his glory? Maybe you would come and pray and ask God to give you the strength to take that step of faith. God will draw people in, but also that we would go out and encourage them. That we would use our gifts and talents. Whatever God is doing, would you just respond to him this morning as we take a few moments to pray an invitation? Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your love. Lord, as we spend some time together this morning just reflecting, I pray that you would speak through your word. I pray your spirit would lead God and direct. Lord, as we spend time in this song of invitation, I pray that it would be more about you than us, that we would focus on you and ask you to lead God and direct. Anyone here that doesn't know Christ, maybe they would come forward and just talk to somebody up front. Just ask how they can know Christ for sure have a guarantee of the salvation. Maybe there's somebody here that knows you as Savior, but it's just so confused about the gift thing. They don't know what their gift is. They don't know how to plug in. Maybe they'd come and pray with someone and just say, would you pray for me that I'd have wisdom in that? And maybe there's somebody here that believes they're too far gone, that they can't really be used, that they're unusable to you. I pray they'd know that they are more than usable when they surrender to you. It's not about being perfect. It's about surrender. I pray we would surrender this morning. Father, in all these things, we ask that you'd be glorified, that you'd be promoted. And again, if somebody here doesn't know you as Savior, they'd come to know you before it's everlasting, before their everlasting punishment comes upon them, before it's too late. Lord, may you be glorified. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we take just a few minutes to sing the song of invitation? Maybe you want to come and pray with someone up front here. Uh, men and women up front, come and pray. Ask them, maybe you want to just come pray on your own. Whatever God is leading, would you respond as God is leading you?